this seems to begin to develop, and you'll see this unfold over the rest of the passage. A daily need connects to daily provision that I may test them. Look at verse 5. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. There's only one day where they won't have to gather, and that's on the Sabbath. God even makes an accommodation as a good, graceful, merciful father for a day of rest for this people. Gives them an extra portion on the day prior to the Sabbath. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he's heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. A couple things to just call to your attention. Again, the periodization that you will hopefully see developing. Morning and evening, dailiness. And this emphasis here in verses 6 and 7. At evening you shall know it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Evening and morning is going to be a theme throughout this passage. Let's continue in verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Meat at twilight, bread in the morning. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. There it is again, meat in the evening, bread in the morning in the form of this fine flake-like thing finest frost when the people of israel saw it they said to one another what is it the word in hebrew there is actually the word man you can almost imagine them walking out and seeing this stuff on the ground and going man it's like a like man what in the world is that and actually man which is kind of funny the word that they get, wow what am i doing up here Oh, I'm on pins and needles. Okay. Try and just press on. Okay. Where was I? The word man. All right. Seriously, I'm going to bail on this and move to the hand mic. Okay. Man, I'm so sorry. These guys do a good job. So manna, manna is named after what is it? The word in Hebrew is man, so they named it man. In other places, they just added an A at the end of it, but it's actually called man. It's kind of funny. I don't know, something about that is really funny to me. Maybe it's not funny to you. Okay, where was I? 
right, let me figure out where I was in my passage here. Man, what in the world is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, a good old-fashioned omer. We all know what that is. According to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, that good old-fashioned omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever, whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Each gathered one unit of measure, we'll talk about this later, called an omer. Those who gathered a lot and then uh, basically had the same amount that goes those who gathered little. There's some really nice devotionals in that, some really nice sermons that could come from that. We're not going to you know, spend a lot of time on that. You know, I'm just imagining the really competitive types getting out there and making it like a, a workout. You know, how many baskets, omers they could pick up. They ended up with the same amount as the ones who kind of were, were dragging, you know. It's kind of funny to me. Now pick up, move all the way forward to verse 31, and we'll go through the end of the chapter. Now the house of Israel called its name, what is it? Manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And omer is the tenth part of an ephah. That brings a lot of clarity to that. All right, what's cool about this little this substance, this thing called man, man, what is it? This manna is that it actually was a little foretaste of the land that he was promising them. A little taste of honey in there just to sustain them until they found that promised land that he was guiding them into. This unit of measure we'll talk about later in the morning, but it's just an outdated unit of measure. It might seem insignificant. There are lots of outdated units of measure. You might hear of one every now and again. I just looked up a few that I thought were interesting. A pyramid inch is one twenty-fifths of a sacred cubit. I mean, everybody knows that. It's 2.54 centimeters, okay? A button is a, a measurement in the UK that's dated that's one-twelfth of an inch. I guess it's probably the size of a button. A spat is one billion kilometers. That, isn't that the craziest thing? Well, just go a spat down the road there. One, it sounds like it's short. It's one billion kilometers or 620 million miles. A corgi is a dog, but it's also a unit of mass equal to 212 mudas. Okay, I just thought y'all wanted, that's a, a, a measurement of weight for rice, okay? I just want to plant this seed, okay, for you to think about. Consider a story that's dated, yet is so important, so retold, so essential to your worldview that you need to know the unit of measure that's no longer used. Something for you to think about, we'll come back to later on in the morning. This all together, the passage that we just read, we skipped a big section in the middle there, but we've sort of gotten the essence of the story. This is a story about food from the hand of God. 
food from the hand of God, and food has been part of the story since the Garden of Eden, and it will be part of the story all the way to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Food is central to every covenant. It's part of nearly every sacrifice. Nearly every important moment in the story of God's people has had food involved. So trying to figure out with a few, what few takeaways that we could walk away with this is a challenge. But we're going to draw them primarily out of this chapter and these verses that we just considered. There are some treasures here. So here's the first of three treasures. Food from the hand of God is regular. Food from the hand of God is regular. It populates the story of God and his people cover to cover from Genesis to Revelation literally. In Genesis, Adam is invited to take and eat the fruit of my work. My being God's work. Take and eat the fruit of my work, Adam. In Genesis chapter 8, Noah, take and eat the fruit of my deliverance. Every moving thing that lives will be food for you, Noah. Take and eat. In Genesis chapter 18, Abraham eats with God while Sarah is in the tent. Genesis chapter 25, Esau trades his birthright for food. Genesis chapter 27, Jacob fools Isaac with food and gets the blessing. Genesis chapters 42 through 47 are driven altogether by an absence of food and a provision of food in Egypt. Food drives this story start to finish with a recurring theme of food from God's hand. David, in the familiar Psalm 23, says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Food is regular and central. It saturates and fills the Gospels. The first miracle was turning water to wine involving drink. It fills the Gospels with multitudes being fed multiple times. Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's eating after his resurrection. He's feeding his disciples on the seashore when Peter is restored. Food is everywhere. And then there's the big one. On the night of his arrest, he broke bread and shared the cup of the Lord's Supper, saying, Take and eat. Food from God's hand is everywhere in this story. It's a regular part of the story pre-fall. Adam, take and eat. It's part of the story after the fall. You're going to eat, but it's going to be by the sweat of your brow. Food is everywhere, and it'll thankfully be part, apparently, of eternity. Any other foodies in here that are glad to hear that? I can tell you I'm pretty excited about it, beginning with the marriage supper of the Lamb. Here in this passage, though, in chapter 16, I want to show you a few things that surface. Here it's as regular as the daily appetites of a human being. Here food and the lessons that go along with it are daily, except for that one day of rest. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Every day they're going to gather a day's portion. The emphasis being 
daily. It's kind of redundant there. Look at verses 6 and 7. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Morning and evening, this periodic thing begins to emerge, this daily emphasis. Look at verse 8. Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full. Evening meat and morning bread. Look at verse 12. I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Twilight meat and morning bread. Look at verse 13. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. Evening quail and morning dew. It's regular, and it's daily, and it's frequent, and it's often. Think about how we began our morning praying through the Lord's Prayer this morning. Give us this day, today, our bread for today. An emphasis on daily looking to the Lord for provision and menu. Here's what I want you to take away from this. Our appetites are a regular and daily tutor to look to our God for his food. Our appetites are not in and of themselves sinful things, but they are a gift from the Lord to tutor us to look to God for food. Food from the hand of God is everywhere in this story. It's daily, it's regular, it's frequent, it's periodic, and it's often just like our appetites. If only... If only we had a meal that we too could take periodic and often and regularly and frequently that might be sort of like this meal. That's the first thing. It's regular. Here's the second thing. Food from the hand of God serves an important purpose. First of all, it's provision. Let's look back at the passage. There they are in chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. They are grumbling. They are what we would call hangry. We all know what hangry looks like and sounds like because we've likely been it or we've seen it. When people are so hungry, they turn angry. That's exactly what's going on here. And God is actually giving them calories. He's not just giving them a metaphor. He's giving them real calories for real hunger. In this case, food from the hand of God was real provision. In verse 4, or something else emerges, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather it, that I may test them. So it's provision, and it's a test. So those are a couple things that emerge as to the purpose of why God develops these appetites in us and meets those appetites with food from his hand. But that's not where I want to go in the next few minutes. There's something else that comes out of this chapter that is really a treasure. Look at verse 12. I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Look back at verse set, verse, verses 5 through 7. On the sixth day when they repair what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. 
something begins to emerge in this story is this pattern in this dailiness, in this daily ritual of appetite being met with food, of seeing and knowing. You will know that I delivered you from Egypt and you will see my glory. And then in verse 12 again, you will know that I am the Lord your God. Look over again at verses 32 through 36. We're going to add another word to this seeing and knowing. Beginning in verse 31. Now the house of Israel called its name, what is it? Manna. It was like coriander seed, white with a taste. A taste of it was like the wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of it to be kept throughout your generations. So that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And omer in verse 32, to be kept so the generations may see. In verse 33, to be kept for your generations. In verse 34, a place in a place to be kept. Something so important, apparently that outdated units of measure needed explanation by an editor. I told you I was going to come back to that later on in the morning. This last verse in the passage here in Omer is the tenth part, part of an epa. Apparently that someone was trying to keep and observe that ritual and at least the remembrance of that bread from heaven. So much so that they had to explain the unit of measure that was used way back when. A story that was so worth retelling that it, was had, that it required an explanation of the units of measure. See, this food that was provided wasn't just for provision, and it just wasn't just a test. It was not just to fill stomachs, but to teach so that they may see, so that they may know, and so that they may remember. Food, people of God, is a tutor just like our appetites are a tutor. They are a tutor of God's provision and God's tender care for his people, even for the grumbling. A tutor of God's character, a tutor of God's goodness, a tutor of God's grace, a tutor of God's provision, even for the grumbling. Let me show you a little neighbor to this passage. Turn over a couple pages to Exodus chapter 12. It's a couple chapters over, but it's really just a few days over in the story. The Passover was the night that they were liberated, the night of the Passover, that final plague where they were liberated from Egypt. I'm going to summarize this ver uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 13 for you, but I'm going to read verse 14. In summary, those first few verses... God gives them the instructions to take an unblemished lamb, to keep it for four days, and then to kill it. And then to slather the doorposts and lentils with blood from that unblemished lamb. And then in verse 8, there's the command to eat it, all of it. And then he tells them, I will pass through Egypt and over blood-slathered doors and lentils over homes where people are eating this prescribed meal. And then now in verse 14, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout all your generations as a statute forever. 
you shall keep it as a feast. From verse chapter 16 over there, you already seen this picture that you shall see the glory of the Lord, you shall know his deliverance through this meal that he's providing from heaven. Add to that this little window here into the Passover. This is a meal that they will practice for generations to come, that they will keep where a meal where they will remember his deliverance from Egypt. A yearly memorial day that you are to eat and to re-eat so that you will know and see and remember. Look at chapter 13. We'll add one more little window into this developing picture of what God does with food. Beginning in verse 3 of chapter 13, Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day. This is a feast that takes place after the Passover. It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which, you swore, which he swore to your fathers to give to you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall, shall be seen with you, and no leaven will be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Literally. The law of the Lord may be in your mouth with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. We're not talking about metaphor here. We're talking about the law of the Lord, in this case, being literally ingested through this provision of this meal that they celebrate, this unleavened bread for seven days after the Passover meal. Literally shared with literal stories that are literally being told to literal real people with a real meal sitting right in front of them. Literally actively remembered remember God's deliverance and might and power and strength with a regular periodic meal in this case the Passover meal that they would celebrate yearly and then the feast of unleavened bread that they would celebrate after that y'all it's worth wondering this morning if it's possible to see and know and remember without food. It's worth wondering if it is possible to see and know and remember what God has done for this people and what he's done for this people without food. It's part of the story. It's embedded within the story. It is the shade that's presented where every bite reminds them of who God is and what God has done for them. It's worth wondering if you can know and keep and remember without food. Apparently, we need to be reminded because knowing decays like food digests. Knowing decays like food digests. Isn't it shocking to you that they don't know these things by now? A month and a half after the Passover, Days after they walked across the Red Sea on dry ground and watched the armies of Egypt drown. And yet here they have to be reminded. 
Here they have to know and re-know with a meal. Here they have to revisit what God has done for them in the regularity of a daily provision and a yearly festival. God is reminding a people that it should baffle us that they have to be reminded. But they're so different from us, right? Because we never forget when God has delivered us a month and a half ago. We never quickly move into grumbling and complaining, forgetting all that God has done for us, do we? That's just talking about those people. Man, if only we had a meal to remind us, to keep us in the place of knowing and re-knowing and remembering. If only we had such a meal. It seems that knowing people of God is perishable. Knowing is perishable. It needs to be renewed. We need to re-know. We need to remember. And eating from the hand of God is how we do such a thing. Eating from the hand of God is how we remember. It is active remembrance. What I think makes it so optional for us, where we might feel like it's a little bit over the top, is that I think when we hear remember, what we're really thinking about is the word recollect. Recollecting is remembering an event that happened sometime in the past. It's pointing back to some historical thing. Recollecting is looking backwards to that thing that was back there. We often equate remembering with recollecting. Recollecting is calling something to mind that happened in the past. Remembering, though, is actively walking in something that's in the present that began in the past. In some ways, recollecting is two-dimensional, like maybe a movie. It's something that's out there that you're seeing, that you walk away from, that you're not really embedded within. If you really had a good movie, it might be 3D with the cool glasses. Remembering, though, is 4D. Remembering, though, is all-dimensional. Remembering, as the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrews are talking about, it, as it's being prescribed here, is something that we are actually in. We're not recollecting some past event. We're actually walking in a present reality. I'll give you a little illustration to help you differentiate between the thoughts of recollecting and remembering. Recollecting a past event, calling to mind when it comes to anniversaries, is not the goal of the husbands in this room, hopefully. <laughs> I have to admit that I'm the, that guy that I said I would never be in actually forgetting an anniversary. There was actually a July the 8th, it was some years ago, many years ago, where Christy came to me mid-morning and said, so, um, happy anniversary. And I was like, what happened today? Anniversary of what? Did we move to Greenville today, some years ago or something? Did I begin ministry at some point? Talk about embarrassing, right? I think I... I I, I didn't faint, but I, I, I swooned a little bit. Thankfully, the Lord has redeemed that over time, okay? But, but hopefully, husbands can do more than recollect their anniversaries, okay? Recollecting your anniversary would be, you know, a husband comes to his wife and say, man, it's been, you know, pretty cool. We got married 26 years ago. That'll be 26 for us this coming July. Christy, recollecting is, you know, we got married 26 years ago. What a day it was. Wasn't it awesome? You looked so great in your dress. Man, the music, we had an Elvis uh, impersonator that did the music at our, um, 
at our uh, reception no, on a paddle boat, for real. Was that lots to, lots to recollect there. We can enjoy that, <laughs> right? That's some weird stuff to recollect, but it's really fun to talk about. <laughs> but what if that's all we did on our anniversary was just did a little recollecting? difference between recollecting and remembering is, you know what we're going to do today, babe? First of all, I'm going to make you breakfast. Second of all, I've got a gift for you. And, and third of all, we're going out on the town tonight, girl. We're going to go eat some food. We're going to go get some good food somewhere. We're going to go have a good time tonight. We're going to celebrate not only the event that happened 26 years ago, but where we are in this thing right now. That's the difference between recollecting and remembering. And God calls his people through food to remember. It's active. It's celebrating a present reality. If only we had a meal from the hand of God we could have periodically and often that would help us do more than just recollect. If only we had something that we could participate in, that we could touch, that we could actually chew, that would help us remember and celebrate that we are embedded within an amazing story. If only. The last thing I've got for you to consider this morning before we are going to have our Lord's Supper is I want you to consider the thought that this is commanded. It's regular, it's routine, it's periodic, kind of like our appetites. It does something more than just nourish us. It actually is the way we remember. It's a way that we can actively participate in what God has done and who we are in Christ. But it is also commanded. There's a tone in this passage in Exodus chapter 16 and some specific words that are used that I'll just call to attention here. In verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. There's commandment connected to this bread from heaven topic, to this meal. Other places it shows up, look at verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. He's commanding them to gather. And then over in verse 32, he has some more commandments. This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. In verse 34, as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. Let's just deal with this fact that eating from God's hand is commanded. It's not suggested. It's commanded. We often associate commands with a negative thing. Let me show you how God has commanded us to eat since the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, it says, Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Later on in the chapter, it says in verse 16, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. We associate commandment with the second part of that and miss the first part is command as well. Take and eat of a garden full of trees. He's a good God. 
providing a garden full of trees. He's a good God commanding them to go gather. Eating from the hand of God is actually commandment. Commands are associated, though, with drudgery. Commands are often associated with missing out on the good stuff, that God's keeping us from the really good stuff. Because that tree that he forbid was really the good place, wasn't it? Anybody ever had that experience? That forbidden fruit, that forbidden tree is actually the sweet spot. That was really the good part. Turns out it was death. God commands us into a good place. He commands us into a garden full of trees. He commands them to go and take and eat and gather. He commands Noah, take and eat. I'm giving you every creature for you to eat. Go eat. Eating from the hand of God is commanded. I want to ask you to rethink commands. God is guiding us into a place of blessing. He's not holding out on us and trying to keep us from what's really good. He's guiding us into a garden full of trees. I'm not holding out on you with this forbidden tree. Satan will try and convince you of that. But I'm trying to guide you into a garden full of fruit-laden trees. Luke chapter 22. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took the cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. This is a commandment. You can't see the tone of these Greek verbs, but they're imperatives. He's commanding them, take and eat. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this commandment in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is commandment to take and eat from God's good hand. Can I invite you to rethink commandments this morning? Can I present this as commandment and not present it sheepishly, but wholeheartedly that he's guiding us into the good spot of a garden full of fruit-laden trees in taking and eating regularly and often and periodically from his hand? It's how we know, because we forget otherwise. It's how we remember. We're keeping something in this, and he's doing something to us in this. Can you consider this supper that I've been alluding to all morning, that we're about to take, maybe for the first time this morning, as something that is actually commanded? Can you consider it as something that's commanded? It may be one of the primary reasons, and it might be the primary reason, for gathering with a people weekly. Can I, can I broach that idea in a community that says church is unnecessary? I love Jesus, but church is kind of optional. Can I broach that notion that it may be the primary reason that we gather physically with the people weekly is because that's where the food is. 
That's where his hand is giving us food. This remembering food that we take and eat and keep. Man, can we, can I encourage you to maybe rethink commands and rethink even the supper? Can you consider that this is not just about how it serves you, but the fact that Christ says he's in this meal. He's here with us in our taking of the meal. We experience him together corporately as we take this meal, as we practice this thing that he's commanded us to keep. He inhabits these moments. He inhabits these words. And he inhabits us corporately through the presence of the Holy Spirit. This may be one of the primary reasons for gathering with the people weekly. He's commanded us to take and eat. I want to give you this thought before we take our supper, and I'll give you some instructions on supper. Man, I'm sure all of you have been trying to do some some, uh, kind of rethinking what God has shown you and what we've learned as a world and as a community through COVID. What a strange, I mean, it comes up in conversation often. It's in the news, you know, it's commentary on different places it's it's just right here trying to make sense of this last couple years what what i've been kind of trying to process there are folks in our church okay they're very few but they're likely folks that you work with folks that you live by maybe folks that you're even related to that profess to know the lord and were actually part of a church pre-covid most churches that i know of are at about 30 percent after covid did you know that 30%. Okay, what that tells me is that what COVID did for a lot of people who are culturally Christian is a year off of visiting church, of being physically at church, or however long people might have taken off, has given them a little taste that, hey, my life's not so bad without church. Why would I bother? My life's not so bad without, um, you know, I, I got time on my schedule now. I got a whole like, morning that's freed up that I never had before. I can do all kinds of stuff around the house. I can watch some TV, um, cook. We can make a big lunch. Really cool stuff. My church, or my life isn't so bad without church. Why would I go back and bother with all those same pesky people? <laughs> right? Some of those people that get on our nerves, you know, we've been doing church with for a while. Okay. Why would we deal with all that stuff again? Because my life's not so bad without church. I realize that COVID has been a little tutor for that. But what we know as a people, because we're reminded as we keep this supper each week, what we know as a people is that there is a being and a person and a living Lord that's so great. He's worth gathering and enjoying whether your life is good or bad. Right? Man, that's not our message for our community, people, is it? Man, your life really is messed up in it. You need Jesus. In our community, people's lives really aren't that messed up. People have good jobs. People live in pretty good homes. People have pretty good medicine. I don't know anybody that's really going truly hungry. We can't use that take of people's lives are really crummy, so, man, I'm going to present Jesus to them because their lives are so terrible. COVID has proved otherwise. Man, their lives are pretty, pretty good, <laughs> even without church. 
Our message is come and take and see and behold this Lord that's so great. He's worth enjoying however good or bad your life is. Man, can we consider that as a people? Can we consider that this morning just within us? That, man, I want to taste and see and make a beeline to that meal, whether my life is good or bad, because he's worth enjoying. He's worth remembering. It's worth walking out my place in this story and my family's place in this story and this church's place in this story week by week as I, with the people of God, take and eat as he has commanded us. I hope I can present this as commandment and y'all can see the weight of it. Let me give a little bit of instructions for the supper. I want to read our passage again. I'm actually going to read the passages, the similar passages from 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul spoke on the Lord's Supper. Y'all, yeah, uh, Jessica and Lane, y'all can come on up. Paul spoke on the Lord's Supper, and the, the Corinthians were really messing up the supper. Um, not only were they, uh, well, they were taking it wrongly and taking it ways that, uh, they were taking it, ironically, almost kind of self-serve, which is something that, I mean, unless we just have to, we're not going to do again. So if you've noticed, our supper things are up here. We're going to have our elders manning these tables, and we're going to invite you during this first song to come and take your supper. So you can come up and grab your supper. You can come with uh, somebody that you might be sitting by or somebody, a family that you may have come with, or you can join another person or just come up here with someone and grab your meal. You can go back to your seat and pray over that meal in groups while we're singing, uh, and then you can take and eat as you go. But it's not going to be self-serve anymore. It's going to come from the hands of the Lord via the leadership of this church. Okay, so that's a little side note, but let me read this 1 Corinthians passage, and uh, we'll reconsider our, um, this is what Paul was given from the Lord. Uh, it says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you, well, actually, I'll jump down. I received from the Lord, here it is, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, there it is, imperative, Greek imperative, commandment. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Y'all stand, and we'll continue with our time of worship, and I will invite you, after I pray, while we're singing, to come on up as families and as groups or whoever to come grab our supper. Elders, y'all can come on up and man these tables. Lord, we are thankful for this meal that you've given us that's periodic. And often, Lord, we're thankful that it's something that we can touch and chew and partake of, that we can walk away with in us. Lord, we're thankful that it's all dimensional, that we are in it. We're thankful for the regularity, the burden of regularity that you put on this church for us every time that we gather for us to enjoy and partake. Lord, we're thankful for what it means that every time we gather, we're remembering the Lord's death until he re returns. Lord, we are walking out this amazing story that we are embedded within, that we are have joined into by our union with Christ by faith. Lord, we pray that you would do those wonderful things to us, that we would know, that we would keep, that we would re-know, that we would see the glory of the Lord and we would remember. Do all those things in us, Lord, that stir us up and keep us close to you and keep us useful Keep us attentive and keep us walking with the Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's continue in song and supper.